welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Well, I'm very excited to welcome to the show David Nielsen. He is a beer writer and educator, as well as an advanced Cicerone. Uh, David actually approached me uh, over Instagram uh, in response to our recent episodes where we took a deep dive into pairing beer with cheese, as well as our most recent episode of Beer Wash Cheeses. And while David has a vast knowledge of beer in general, he specifically has been diving into the world of pairing beer with chocolate. Uh, he has published a zine, Pairing Beer and Chocolate, a Bean to Barstool zine. And he has done uh, talks. He has a podcast as well that really dives into this topic. And as a lover of chocolate and beer, I am really excited to dive into this topic with David. David, thank you so much for taking time to join the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on today. So before we get into the specifics and, you know, all the work that you have done over the years, can you give the listeners a little bit of background on you and how you came to be in this beer and chocolate world? Yeah, for sure. So I've been writing and speaking about beer in a freelance capacity for seven or eight years now. Had some previous careers that uh, fell by the wayside. It was in IT and then library. Uh, I was a librarian for a little while and then left those to be a freelance writer. Uh, so I've been leading educational events and and just writing about beer in general for about seven or eight years. And a couple years into that, um, somebody asked me to lead a beer and chocolate pairing. And I very naively said, yeah, sure. How hard can you know pairing with chocolate really be? And like for most people, chocolate was a fairly simple thing to me at that time. I thought there were a couple different things to understand. And then you were good to go. Uh, started talking to a local craft chocolate expert who quickly dispossessed me of that notion and uh, started offering me education to learn more about craft and bean-to-bar chocolate. And from that point, I very quickly fell down the rabbit hole of pursuing craft chocolate as kind of a secondary uh, pursuit alongside of beer. And ever since then, I have been leading professional pairings, doing the podcast you talked about, doing writing around that uh, as well. Amazing. So what, here, let's real quick, can you explain to the listeners what bean to bar chocolate is? Why is that significantly different than just buying like a Hershey's bar? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things about chocolate that I would say most of the public does not understand. And there are two big ones I would say are closely related. The first is that chocolate is an agricultural product. It comes from the seed of a fruit that grows on a tropical tree within about 20 degrees north and south of the equator all the way around the world. Uh, so it is grown and harvested and fermented by farmers and farm laborers. So just like beer, this is an entirely agricultural product uh, on the consumer side because it shows up in stores in finished form and doesn't look anything like its agricultural origin. People just kind of think of it as something that's made in a factory and 
voila, it shows up in a, in a wrapper on a shelf. Uh, but this is the product of, of farming and farm labor. With that, the single most important thing probably to understand about the distinction between craft chocolate or bean-to-bar chocolate and uh, conventional mass-produced candy chocolate is that there is a major human rights component to the cacao supply chain. Um, estimates of 60 to 70% of the world's commodity cacao has human rights abuses along the supply chain, either people who are being inadequately paid, uh, unsafe working conditions, all the way to child labor and child slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the big ethical difference between these two goes beyond any lines a person might want to draw between craft beer and macro beer or anything like that, because there is this, this human rights component, this labor component to it. So bean to bar or craft chocolate, and I'll clarify those terms in just a moment, beyond just wanting to make higher quality chocolate, uh, they're also committed to paying fair labor or paying a fair price for uh, the cacao and ensuring traceability and transparency in the cacao supply chain to make sure everybody along the route there has been taken care of. And there aren't any of these abuses or, or child slavery uh, taking place along the route. That means that the cacao that is being used in this type of chocolate is significantly more expensive and the finished chocolate then is significantly more expensive. And we're talking about a larger distinction than just the difference between paying for craft beer and paying for uh, macro beer. If you can get a candy bar at the grocery store for a dollar or two, good craft chocolate is usually going to be seven to $12 for a bar. That is yeah. not artificial premiumization. It's that we never should have been able to buy chocolate as cheaply as we've gotten used to. The terms themselves, craft and bean to bar, just like in craft beer, there are still a lot of arguments and clarifications taking place within the uh, chocolate industry to try to figure out exactly what those terms do and do not mean. Mm -hmm. Bean to bar is a statement of process. It is saying that the chocolate maker made the chocolate all the way from having the raw cacao bean, processing it all the way through to the finished chocolate. Craft chocolate is a little bit of a broader umbrella that allows for a chocolate maker to uh, work with ethically sourced chocolate that has been made by another person or made at origin. There's lots of little arguments that take place about how big can a craft company be and all the same things we're familiar with in craft beer. But the, the biggest distinction uh, comes down to that human rights component. Gotcha. No, I, I fully agree with your statement. It should never have been that cheap. And and that right there kind of boils it down for me. Um, I don't want to go fully down this rabbit hole, but I am curious what it looks like uh, as far as, when somebody is producing chocolate with that much attention to detail and, and consciousness to where everything's being sourced from, what that scalability challenge must be, right? You mentioned that there's some parallel between that and beer where, you know, if you're really putting in that amount of effort, it's challenging, you know, for the end product to be something that's attainable for a consumer and still appealing and you know what that what that scale looks like have you talked to some producers and and what have the what has the has there been solutions or yeah nothing that everybody agrees on um okay. i think one thing that we see in craft chocolate that is very uncomfortably familiar from coming from craft beer is 
Uh, you get a lot of smaller producers who have a lot of angst about the bigger producers in there and, and whether or not what they're doing is valid as craft, whether or not it should be able to use terms like that. Uh, there are a lot of things that craft chocolate can learn from craft beer and a lot of things that I think it can learn from what craft beer has done wrong. <laughs> and one of those is getting bogged down in, I think, arguments that maybe miss the point. And I think that scale and size argument is potentially one of them. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at something as important as the ethics of how this is sourced and who is getting hurt uh, by how it is being sourced, we need this to scale. We need this to become a bigger part of the overall chocolate world if we're going to be able to right some of these wrongs, which means that not every one of these companies is going to be able to stay super small and everything being handmade by one person. Yeah. Now, obviously there's a lot of romance in those really small operations and that is beautiful. And they are doing what, you know, doing the, what they can do with the resources they have and creating amazing chocolate and creating change. But I think there is also room for those larger companies. Uh, what gets difficult um, is that as those companies get bigger you start getting more outside investment interest. You start getting the need potentially for cutting some corners on the production side with uh, what ingredients get added and, and what don't to facilitate manufacturing and all that kind of thing. And those are there's valid discussions to be had around that. I personally fall on the side of casting a little bit bigger umbrella and saying the importance is that this is being done right from a mm -hmm. sourcing standpoint. And then there is room for a, I think, an array of different finished products and, and how that looks from different manufacturers. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and as you were talking through that, I was just thinking, wow, so many parallels between this, this and mm -hmm. craft beer for sure. Um, thank you for humoring me on that little rabbit hole. Um, looping back to the topic at hand. So I want to dive into what it really looks like to pair beer with chocolate. Um, but I do want to pause as I was looking through um, some of your episodes uh, on your podcast, uh, as well as the pairing beer with chocolate zine that you've published, there was a mention of tasting chocolate properly. And this is something I don't believe I've ever done before or even <laughs> thought about before. Because um, when I see chocolate, I simply just want to eat it as fast as possible. Um, and there is a specific way to taste beer, and we've talked about this on the show, but can you take listeners through, before they even start the process of pairing beer with chocolate, how to taste chocolate properly for an evaluation purpose that will inevitably help you pair more easily? Yeah, for sure. I think when you're looking at properly tasting any kind of indulgence, beer, chocolate, coffee, whiskey, whatever, 90% of it is the same. It comes down to slowing down and paying attention. And then you've got these small physical differences just to accommodate the, whatever the details of the individual, uh, you know, indulgence is that you're enjoying. In the case of chocolate, most of this is going to be familiar. If you're, you know, a wine taster, a beer taster, or anything else, it comes down to paying attention to all of your senses and making sure that you're taking the time not just to get that in your mouth as quickly as possible and, and start chewing, uh, but to slow down and allow yourself to appreciate it holistically. Uh, that begins with our sense of sight, 
Uh, just like with craft beer, craft chocolate makers put a lot of work into their packaging, into their label design. And one thing that's really cool is the actual molds that the chocolate are put in often are designed specifically for individual makers. So you can get some really ornate and beautiful designs uh, pressed into the mold of these bars. And just taking a minute to take a look at that is important. There's a few other visual things you can look at, the shine of the bar, uh, the color, texture, things like that. Next, you can smell the chocolate. This one, while while you definitely are engaging your sense of smell, because it's a physical or because it's a um, a solid object, it doesn't necessarily give off its volatiles quite as readily as a beverage does like beer. So I take a moment to smell my chocolate, but I, I usually kind of move past that into the tasting component where we're engaging smell and taste together. So once you're tasting your chocolate, you really need to be paying attention to the full flavor experience of your sense of smell and your sense of taste coming together to create flavor, just like we do with beer or anything else. Uh, make sure that you're taking the time to allow the chocolate to melt. Mass-produced chocolate, uh, because of the low cacao percentage that is in most of it and some of the other kind of filler material that gets put in there to facilitate manufacturing, mass-produced chocolate will melt very, very quickly. That's why when you're holding a, a chocolate bar, uh, very quickly melts onto your fingers. Uh, well-made chocolate is going to melt just barely below body temperature. So it's not going to melt immediately as soon as you put it in your mouth. So you got to let a piece of chocolate kind of sit on your tongue, break it up with your teeth, but do not start chewing it. Just kind of let it melt and let it take the time to start releasing all those volatiles and, and aromatics that can take, you know, 30 to 60 seconds as you're allowing those different things to be released, allowing the, the enzymes and different things in your saliva to mix with that and release new ones. Um, so there's kind of a, an extended aromatic and taste experience that's going on as you're just allowing that to melt. While you're doing that, you're also paying attention to uh, mouthfeel, you know, how is it silky? Is it kind of gritty? Uh, similar things that, that we do with beer or, or anything else. One fun little ritual that is fun with uh, chocolate that we don't get to do with beer is the snap. Um, to properly make chocolate, there is a stage toward the end called tempering, which is where it goes from being liquid into a solid. And it is a really complicated process where you have to hit these different temperature thresholds to get it to, uh, to temper correctly into a solid. And one of the ways that you can tell if chocolate is, is well-tempered is by snapping the chocolate close to your ear. So you take a little piece and uh, snap it. Honestly, most craft chocolate is going to have been tempered well. So it's mostly just a little ritual of the tasting experience. But when I'm leading tastings, people always get a kick out of getting to do that and hear their chocolate before they taste it. So well, it's like, like cheersing, said, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah it's, <laughs> it's just a fun little ritual that you get to add in. But like I said, you know, 90% of this is the same no matter what. It's just about paying attention to your senses and slowing down and allowing you know, each of your senses to give you information about the chocolate. Nice. All right. So we've tasted our chocolate. We've tasted our beer. How do we go about pairing beer and chocolate? Yeah. And this is um, one thing that sets pairing chocolate with beer apart from most other foods that we're going to pay with uh, pair with beer. 
as I was just saying, well-tempered chocolate is going to melt just below body temperature. Well, mm -hmm. most of the time, the beer, obviously, that we're, we're pairing with it is going to be much, much cooler than that. So if we take a sip of beer and then put a piece of chocolate in our mouths, that chocolate's just going to sit there. It's not going to melt. We're barely going to taste it at all. We have to uh, take the chocolate first, allow it to melt, allow it to do that 10, 20, 30 seconds of melting, maybe even longer uh, to make sure that our mouths fully are, are covered in that flavor and then take a small sip of the beer to make sure that uh, we're getting everything out of both of them. Because if we start with the beer or introduce the beer too quickly, it's just going to kind of lock whatever we got out of the chocolate in place and not fully express. So making sure that we give the chocolate room to melt and fully release its aromatics is critical to being able to, to get the most out of combining them. Awesome. So let's say somebody's tasked with pairing some beer with some chocolate. What are some of the guidelines that you follow, right? So we've talked about this on the show, pairing beer with food. You've got, you know, complement, contrast, cut, can add a flavor to the experience through the beer. We've talked about the old adage of it grows together, it goes together, right? There's two um if there's a style or a classic food that naturally occur within, you know, a certain region, chances are they probably go together. Um, so what are some guidelines that you approach when pairing beer with chocolate, if, if they're the same or are they a little bit different from pairing beer with food? Sure. Um, so one thing I would recommend, and I think this is probably true for most foods that your listeners are going to be looking at pairing with beers, you're probably coming to this more familiar with the beer side if you're listening to this. So what I always recommend is starting from the thing you're less familiar with. So trying a chocolate, chances are as you're tasting that chocolate, you probably are going to be fairly familiar with beer styles that you could potentially think of. So starting with that chocolate, work from there toward the beers rather than starting with a beer and trying to pick something out of this, you know, this field that you don't know much about. So trying a chocolate and then from there thinking about the beer you're going to try. So you kind of have a few different branches within chocolate, uh, kind of broad categories of things you can work with. Uh, you know, you, you've got types of chocolate in terms of dark chocolate, milk, white chocolate, which is in fact, chocolate it is made from cacao. Um, but more importantly, you kind of got two big branches of single origin, two ingredient chocolate, where you're just working with cacao and sugar, and you're getting kind of this, uh, raw expression of whatever the origin of chocolate is, uh, versus what we call inclusion chocolate. This is kind of the equivalent of like adjunct beers where, uh, a chocolate maker is going to make a chocolate bar and incorporate any number of, you know, spices, botanicals, fruits, uh, alcoholic beverages, coffee, all sorts of different things to uh, accentuate whatever the base chocolate flavor is. Working with inclusions is much, much easier when you're getting started with pairing. Uh, there are absolutely great pairings with single origin bars, but they are both far harder to predict. Um, and you would have to have a lot more familiarity with those individual cacao origins before you could really start that pairing. Whereas if a bar has candied orange peel in it, well, you, you know what candied orange peel works with, so you can start from that position and, and work toward a beer pairing. So if people are just starting out, let's say somebody's going to grab some chocolate bars and have some friends over and just, you know, randomly pair and see what works out. I would recommend 
working with inclusion bars early on uh, mm-hmm. provides a much more comfortable base to to start from to work out toward beers to pair with. Beyond that, I always say that there is a beer for every chocolate, but not necessarily a chocolate for every beer. There are some beer styles that typically do not work well. Anything that has uh, high hop bitterness and a very dry body is going to be very difficult to get anything to grab onto in the chocolate side. And um, cacao and hop bitterness can build on each other very, very quickly. And you can get some sharp flavors between those that individually, neither one might not seem all that harsh, but when you put them together, if there aren't supporting uh, flavors there, or there isn't enough sweetness or or whatever it might be, then that can react pretty quickly. So uh, when in doubt, work with beers that have a little bit more body and sweetness to them to kind of cover over some of that and, and deprioritize hot bitterness as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, at that point you're working with so many tannins. I mean, look, I am a very dark chocolate fan, Uh high percentage on the cacao. And it's because of that. It's because of that high, you know, tannin quality. And if you're knocking that back with like a double or an Imperial IPA with crazy hop, you know, off the chart IBUs, it's just going to be like sandpaper on your on your tongue absolutely (laughs) yeah and some of the acidity that you get from some of those higher percentage uh chocolates particularly i mean specific origins will have higher acidity levels to them and while that will kick off some fruity flavors potentially at the Mm -hmm. base taste level that can really collide with with some of that bitterness in the beer as well so and i'm also assuming that you know kind of a, an easy gimme for people pairing beer with chocolate is stouts or mm-hmm. something that's brewed with chocolate malts, right? right. Um, you get that kind of deep, rich, chocolatey flavor already existing in the beer. So bringing that together, you know, would be an easier lift. Of course, looking at, you know, fruited sours, pairing fruit and chocolate. Again, that's something that exists naturally in the world of desserts. So that's an easy thing to mimic. But I'm curious, there are some styles that, you know, would kind of puzzle me, right? Like some of the more malt forward uh, lagers or, you know, something that would give me pause would be something like a Hefeweizen Mm. or uh, something like a Kolsch that's very kind of light. And I wouldn't, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, okay, I love Kolsch. I love super dark chocolate. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like it would work to me. Right. So I feel like you'd have to get a little, little creative. What are, what are some, uh, maybe surprising pairings or, or little, uh, tricks that you've kind of, uh, established? Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, you're right. People immediately think of porters and stouts. If you go on the internet and, you know, look up a basic pairing guide if they include chocolate at all it's just going to say porter stout next to it uh so you got to kind of push past that that not that there aren't some awesome porter and stout uh pairings with chocolate absolutely but it's definitely the the easiest thing to reach for um well you mentioned hefeweizen so looking at lower strength expressive wheat ale styles hefeweizen dunkelweizen uh wit beer uh, out of belgium those can pair really, really well with chocolate. What I really like to work with there is 
uh, white inclusion chocolates. So white chocolates that have uh, something else in them like coffee, for example, a coffee mm. white chocolate can work really, really well with a Hefeweizen. You've got that coffee and banana that for me works really, really nicely together. The chocolate itself, you don't have cacao solids. It's just made with cacao butter. So you're not uh, bringing in any of that harshness we were just talking about that's going to blast through a fairly light-bodied beer. Um, but you're going to have a nice kind of creaminess that fills in those gaps there. And then those, those higher flavors work together really, really nicely. So that's a good place to start with something like that. Kolsch is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, it's not a style that I would say you, you won't find a pairing for, but it's not something I would reach for either. You're going to want to look at probably a very low percentage milk chocolate, something that's just kind of going to be it's not going to blow your mind. It's it's at best going to be kind of an easy snacking pairing, uh, mm-hmm. but there's not a whole lot in a Kolsch to grab to begin with. You, you know, even when you're pairing with some other food types, I would use a Kolsch as like, this is going to be an introductory course. Or we're going to have this, you know, with a, a light salad with, you know, a citrusy vinaigrette or something like that. It's just going to go real, real light. Um, but on the chocolate side, I, I would, I wouldn't say don't do it, but it's not the first <laughs> thing I would reach for there. Some other interesting things to look at, um, you know, on the previous question, you asked about some of those basic pairing principles like cut and contrast. And one of the interesting things with chocolate is that from a physical standpoint, we're not having to deal with some of the textural issues that we're looking at with fuller foods or, mm-hmm. you know, like cheese, like you had in the recent episode where, you know, this is, this is some big palate filling thing, or it's fatty or uh, whatever it is. So we need something to slice through that with chocolate. While there is a textural component, uh, this is such a small amount of, of food that you're putting in your mouth and it's going to melt kind of slowly that uh, you're really able to work more on a base taste and then flavor standpoint. And you don't have to worry so much about some of those more fundamental uh, textural components that we typically look at um, in pairing. So, you know, doing a, a higher bitterness IPA to cut through carrot cake is a classic example everybody uses. Mm-hmm. That's not really something we have to worry about on the chocolate side, which removes some of that established knowledge that we might bring into the pairing, but it actually ends up being kind of freeing because you don't have to worry about that as much. And you can just look at how our flavors and tastes interacting. Um, as far as other styles that do really well, uh, two really flexible kind of catch-all styles that I would say, if you bring these into, you know, just a home beer and chocolate pairing, even if these don't end up being a mind-blowing pairing, they are going to be very, very forgiving, are going to be English barley wine and mm-hmm. Belgian dark strong ale. Both of those have the, the body and uh, the underlying, in the case of the English barley wine, the underlying sweetness in the case of the, the Belgian dark strong, probably a little less sweetness, but certainly the impression of that sweetness and those sweet leaning flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those are going to cast a wide enough net to work with a lot of chocolates and provide kind of a comforting uh, resting place there during the pairing. Another fun thing to work with is uh, mixed fermentation sours. So mm-hmm. goose or American wild ale. Um, those work really well with dark chocolates that have dried fruit inclusions. There is a 
for example, there's a bar from Ritual Chocolate out of Utah that is made with cacao that's been soaked in champagne, and then it has uh, freeze-dried raspberries all, all along the back of it. Oh, wow. I always include that in um, professional pairings if I can with a uh, an outguse of some sort, and it mm-hmm. is almost always one of the, the crowd favorites that uh, the acidity of the beer kind of breathes life back into that dried fruit. You get this really bright fruit expression. Some of the uh, funkier characteristics of the beer get kind of uh, covered over a little bit by the chocolate. So you're not kind of confronting people with a potentially divisive characteristic in the beer. Um, It just, it's a beautiful, beautiful pairing uh, that I always try to include. So that's a fun one to start with or a fun one to include. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many amazing styles. I feel like we could run through the BJCP here and just talk about awesome. Chocolate <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I also don't want to give up, you know, the entire content right. of your, uh, zine. Um, now we're wrapping up a little bit here, but, um, if listeners want to start exploring some chocolates, um, and, you know, maybe start playing around with pairing beer. What are some chocolatiers that, or, or chocolate producers, um, that you would recommend maybe looking at maybe something that people can order online or, you know, ones that, that you really feel like have a, have a, they're ethically produced, but also, you know, really thoughtful in the flavors that they incorporate. Yeah. Well, one really cool thing before I name anything specifically, one of the great things about chocolate is that there's no alcohol, so it can just be shipped everywhere. So every maker ships directly on their website. So even if you don't have a, you know, a store near you that stocks this kind of chocolate, you can go to any craft chocolate maker's website and order uh, directly to your door. So that's really cool. Uh, There are hundreds of good craft chocolate makers here in the U.S. uh, and abroad um, here in the U.S., some of the bigger ones would be French Broad Chocolate out of Asheville, North Carolina. Being in Asheville, they have worked with dozens of the breweries in the area as well. So uh, you get some uh, really cool collaborations on the beer side there. Their best-selling bar is actually made with malt powder from Riverbend Malt House, which is a, an artisan malt producer there in Asheville. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Ritual Chocolate out of Utah. They mm-hmm. uh, do a... They have a beautiful range of bars, both single origin and inclusion, and they do some specific that use a specific line of bars that use ingredients from the desert Southwest. So they have one made with uh, pine nuts. They have one with juniper and lavender. And so they do some really cool things working with regional flavors. One that a lot of people are probably familiar with is dandelion chocolate out of California. They are uh, widely available. Um, one thing I would recommend though, rather than just thinking about specific makers, go to a site, uh, I would recommend bar and cocoa bar and cocoa all together, all one word bar and cocoa.com. They, um, basically vet makers to make sure that, uh, makers are ethically sourcing and then, you know, conglomerate them onto their site. So you can go on there and search dozens, maybe uh, maybe close to 100 different makers on there and, and order kind of from different makers to see what you like and get that shipped directly to you. They're who I work with uh, when I'm sourcing for for myself and for events. So that's a really good resource to go rather than having to 
you know, go to all these different makers websites that you're not sure about and, and, um, you know, pick through those on your own, uh, just go to a website like that and have fun, spend too much money. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's always, it's always good to support, um, artisans, you know, ethically sourcing their goods always, no matter Absolutely. what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, David, thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, explaining this, uh, listeners, I would highly recommend you check out his podcast. Um, but if anything, definitely order his zine pairing beer and chocolate, a bean to barstool zine, uh, definitely worth a read. And I know that, um, David breaks down so many different examples, um, for the reader and explains it in such a way that it, it is incredibly uh, easy to understand and also just not intimidating at all. So it's just, it's just really, really well done. Um, David, before you go, um, can you just share with us like your favorite, like little beer and chocolate pairing or, or maybe something recently that you tried that you just were really tickled by or, or just one that you're always, always put the smile on your face? Yeah, for sure. One thing that I, I really like to do because people are not expecting it when I'm doing a pairing is pairing with hazy IPAs. It's like the exact opposite of what most people would think of for pairing with chocolate. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody, you know, like we mentioned, everybody thinks porter and stout. Lower bitterness hazy IPAs can be absolutely spectacular. And so uh, one thing I really like to do if I've got a a hazy IPA I'm excited about, which let's be honest, I'm not excited about all of them. There's so many of them out there, but when I get one that I'm really excited about pairing with a either lower percentage milk bar or even a white bar that has a spice inclusion to it, mm -hmm. ginger, uh, even a, a chili inclusion or something like that is always just so eye-opening to what, what flavors can do when we're willing to kind of think outside the box. So uh, every so often when I've got one of those IPAs uh, that I'm happy about, I will reach for one of those bars. And uh, when I include those in a pairing, um, it always kind of help, always kind of helps people think beyond just like the classic things that you think about when you think of pairing beer with chocolate. So if you have a hazy IPA, get a bar with, you know, uh, a spice inclusion of some sort, lower percentage, and it will really open your eyes. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. And I know it's like asking you to pick your favorite kids. So you know, thank <laughs> you for humoring me on that one. <laughs> um, well, like I said, please check out uh, David's podcast, his zine. Um, you might spot him in upcoming beer conferences or educational opportunities. Uh, so again, thank you, David, for taking the time. Yeah, of course.